<laughs> well, thank you for that golf clap. That was truly underwhelming. <laughs> it's too late. Too late. I want to thank Bergen Park Church. You're, you're a part of this association of 80 churches in what's called the Rocky Mountain District, and, and you're a big part of the ministry of the district. The district is fully supported only by the churches, and it's, it's voluntary. I want to give you just a little bit of an idea of, of what you've been doing and how you're helping other churches, because every church that gives to the district has the district there to support them. Imagine... If next week, Pastor Jason came up here and he said, next Sunday is going to be my last Sunday. You're not going to do that, are you? Okay. That really happened just a few months ago in one of our churches. Well, what does a church do when that happens? Because they're part of the association and they have a relationship with the district. They called me. We were able to step in, find them an interim pastor, and, and we're working on, on helping them find another pastor. When I say we, you're, you're doing that. Because you support the district, you're supporting that church. In fact, there are five churches in our uh, association of 80 right now that are, that are looking for uh, pastors, and, and you're helping them. A couple of churches that are in crisis right now. Not, not churches in Colorado, you understand. Those are the Wyoming churches. That's <laughs> And again, you're assisting those churches. You are uh, supporting them by supporting the district. Uh, I've done three different workshops this past week. That's part of what the district does. I go and do seminars, workshops, help elders uh, work through uh, different questions that they have. There are always district events that are taking place, youth camps, uh, adult uh, type of uh, ministries as well. Uh, we've got, you're probably not aware that you're part of seven church plants in this district right now. And again, all of that is because of the support that you give to the Rocky Mountain District, and you're helping all of this take place. So I want to thank you for that. Open our Father's Word, if you would, this morning to John chapter 8. And as you're opening to John chapter 8, you're probably wondering about the wisdom of a guy who comes and gives everybody a stone. And I'm beginning to question that as well. I mean, if you start throwing them at me, I've got a box of ammo up here just in case. So, but as you looked at the title of the message, those of you who are in my age bracket might have been thinking of Bob Dylan's song of the 1960s. Or those of you who are younger might be wondering, is this about the Colorado marijuana? What's, what's going on here? I want to ask you, who is the person in your life that has been most unjust toward you? Think about somebody right now that you really feel like you need to have a conversation with them. You're, you've got a concern. You've got a grudge against them. Maybe it's an abusive father or a neglective mother or a sibling that just, you, you need some things that you need to get straight with them. Or it's an employer that isn't treating you fairly. Or maybe it's that, 
that neighbor that you, you just think about somebody in your life that you've got some unfinished business concerning. And as you do that, I want you to take that stone and put it in your hand right now, if you would. Now, I want you to figuratively write that person's name on that stone. Okay? You're going to name that stone with the name of that person. And for the next 20 minutes or so, I want you to keep holding that stone. Don't put it down as we move into this passage. In John chapter 8, verse 1, it says that Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, this was the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's, a, it's, it's like our Thanksgiving, except it's eight days in the Jewish life. And uh, they actually, during this time each year, build these little booths that they live in for eight days. And it's, it's a time of just giving thanks to God. They're, they're looking back over their history and all that God has done. We sang a lot this morning about all that God has done for us. Well, they spend eight days in this Jewish feast, in this Jewish Thanksgiving. And in the middle of this week, if you go back to chapter 7, verse 14, you'll find that Jesus has been consistently in the synagogue teaching. And as he has been doing that, he has not claimed to be the Messiah, but he's been teaching every day from the Old Testament Scriptures. And as he has been doing that, it's been very clear to the scribes and the Pharisees that he is referring to himself as the Messiah that the Old Testament prophets are talking about. And they are starting to get a little bit amped up over all of this. They're beginning to get a little angry. You still holding your stone? <laughs> they are feeling like he is trying to displace them. And in verse 2 it says that early in the morning he comes again to the temple. It's, it's kind of like your stone person. It's that pebble in the shoe. It's that irritant that just won't go away. They just won't move fully out of your life. That they're always showing up, if not physically, certainly in your mind and in your thinking. How do you deal with somebody like that? Because the conversation in your mind continues to grow, and you get more and more irritated. And you, and you begin having these dialogues with them that they're not aware of. You have to, in some way, discredit them, prove them wrong, talk them down in some way, dishonor them if you possibly can. If only you can point out to them their imperfection, and that's exactly what the scribes and Pharisees are thinking as Jesus comes again, and he comes into the temple, and he begins speaking, and they feel like we have, to, we have to do something about this. So they set a trap, and here's the trap. Verse 3, the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery, and placing her in his midst, they said, teacher, this woman's been caught in adultery. Now, 
the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say? (laughs) And they figure, well, we've got him now. You see, usually when we in our head have this argument with our stone person, we we come up with a dialogue. We, We come up with a script. And we give enough detail in that script to point out where they are wrong. But we usually don't give every detail, do we? We just give the details that support our place, that support our position. And we we tend to leave out some details, details that others might call important and pertinent facts. And the idea here that they have is that if Christ is lax toward the law, well, then he's not righteous. If if he says, well, you know, you, you need to show a little bit of grace, well, then obviously he is denying the law of Moses. But on the other hand, if he says, well, if she's been caught, she's guilty, then you must stone her, well, there's a problem there as well. Because currently they were not under Jewish rule, they were under Roman jurisprudence. And if he says stone her, then he has to answer to the Romans. So they figured that they've got this perfect trap set for him. But there are some problems with their argument. As I said, we don't always present all of the facts. We just present the facts that, you know, support our position. One of the problems is, yes, it's true that those caught in adultery must be brought to be stoned, but not just the female, also the male. He's missing here. They brought just the female. And rarely was this ever enforced. Another problem that exists here is it says that it was early in the morning. So she certainly wasn't just caught. This is something they'd been plotting, something they'd been planning. She had been held at least overnight and probably in deplorable conditions. So they were treating her very unfairly and unrighteously and still trying to set this trap for Jesus. They said this, verse 6 says, to test him, that they might bring something against him. They were clearly setting a trap. But there's a twist to the story. Have you ever noticed when you write the script and you have this conversation, I'll say this, and then they'll say that, and then I'll respond with this, and then, have you ever noticed they never read your script? They always go off script. Why do they do that? Instead of giving an immediate answer, it says in the second part of verse 6, that Jesus bent down, and he started writing on the ground. What do you do with that? I mean, this is no time for a creative art project, Jesus. Tell us your answer. You think you're so wise and so smart? In fact, the last part of verse 7 says that they pushed him. They continued to ask him. Now, we don't know what he had been teaching throughout the week, but we're certain that he had been teaching through Old Testament Scripture. 
What did he have in mind as he bent down and he began to write in the dust? Was he perhaps thinking of what Jeremiah the prophet said in chapter 7, verse 13, where Jeremiah writes, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Put yourself in that circle of Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. And you're standing there and Jesus is writing in the dust. And you're bringing an accusation against him. We don't know what he was writing. Scripture's not, Scripture's silent on that. Was he perhaps writing different transgressions? Theft? Maybe having something against your neighbor? Maybe lying, dishonesty? We don't know what he was writing. But as he's writing, he then gives them an opposite perspective. They begin to push him to speak, and he stands up and he says, verse 7, let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he bends down and he continues writing. <laughs> verse 8. And when they heard it, again, we don't know if he was writing their names or maybe each of the transgressions in their own life. We don't know. But as he, as he bends down and continues to write, verse 8 says, one by one, they leave. And eventually, Jesus is there alone with a woman. And it is the perfect resolution to the conflict. They thought they had him. They thought they had trapped him. It was brilliant. You see... If stoning occurs, Jesus didn't say, you must stone her. He, he didn't command them to do that. He just said, well, you know, if, if you're so righteous, go ahead. I leave it up to you. And yet he didn't deny the law. <laughs> still holding your stone? I've been holding mine. Are you still holding yours? You know, maybe you're justified in your anger. Maybe that person that I asked you to think about at the beginning of this message really does deserve some kind of retribution or punishment. But are we justified ourselves? Are we really looking in our lives as we move into the third decade of the 21st century, are we looking for justification or transformation? Which would you like in your life? Jesus stands up, verse 10, and he says, woman, where are they? Has nobody condemned you? And she doesn't look like anybody's here. And it's interesting, in bringing condemnation against Jesus and this woman, they themselves walk away condemned. 
Well, that plan didn't work out so well, did it? And not only do they themselves walk away condemned, but both of the original targets, Jesus and the woman, are exonerated. She says, verse 11, well, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is scandalous grace. Scandalous grace. The only one in that entire group that could condemn her chooses not to. He could have. Maybe he should have. But he doesn't. I'm going to ask you to stand right now with your stone in your hand. How long have you been holding the stone? 15, maybe 20 minutes? Have you actually held the stone the entire time, or was that even too much of a burden? And has holding the stone been comfortable for you? Well, your grudge is much heavier than a stone. And unforgiveness weighs upon our heart and our life much greater than carrying a stone around wood. I'm going to ask you to bow, if you would, for just a moment in a prayerful attitude and think about this. Your unforgiveness is your burden, not theirs. It doesn't hurt your stone person. And your unforgiveness is much heavier than that stone. So prayerfully think about how you want to enter the third decade of the 21st century. You've got two choices this morning. Two, two choices I'm going to give you with this stone. Keep that grudge, but carry that stone with you and carry it out of this building today. They may deserve your judgment, but you carry the burden, not them. Or, here's another choice. Instead of looking for justification, how about personal transformation? Consider His grace for you in not blaming you for your transgressions, but not only forgiving you, but bleeding for you. Forgiving them doesn't mean allowing them to continue to abuse you, but it also means you're going to let go of your need for retribution and repayment. Just because they were unrighteous, you don't have to continue to be. So, two choices. Carry the stone out with you today, or right now where you stand, let go of it, dropping your charge against them. For Jesus, you have taught us that in the same way that we judge others, we ourselves will be judged. And we thank you and praise you that though we are maybe not guilty of what we are charging others with, we stand before you also as those needing forgiveness. We give you praise that you do that. In the name of your Son, Christ Jesus.